Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verses 1 and verses 13 through 25. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. I think I read my favorite commentary line ever this week. It was from a sermon starter reflection on Calvin Seminary's website. It said... And I quote this word for word, Christ did not set you free to be a jerk. In Jesus, we are granted bondage, or freedom rather, from the bondage of sin and death and yuck, but that doesn't mean that we're free to do whatever, especially if whatever we're doing is hurting the people around us. There are ways of going about our day-to-day lives that do not genuinely embrace freedom in Jesus. Freedom from death does not just mean that we accept a golden ticket to heaven that will get us out of really dying someday. It has implications for today as well. Real freedom means we are free here and now as well. Not just free to do whatever we want, but free to want to live the abundant life that Jesus offers us. We aren't set free from responsibility toward ourselves, others, and creation when we are set free from sin. We aren't set free from participation in the struggle between good and evil. We aren't set free from sin in order to spend all our time judging the sin of other people. People who spend any part of their precious time on earth nitpicking about the way other people live their lives or refusing kindness or service to others because of the other person's sin, aren't free from sin. 
They're trapped by the sin of other people just as much as they've been trapped by their own sin before. This passage in Galatians is a terribly misused one. Many of us learned the fruit of the Spirit part of it in Sunday school or vacation Bible school as kids. And many people use the list of don't do thises in order to point the finger at other people. But rarely do we put the two together in their entire context. And that's a huge problem. When we look at just the list of the do-nots, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. It's easy to fall into a pattern of avoidance, of living out of rather than living into. In other words, we can take that as a list of things to avoid and think we're doing okay if we manage to avoid most of them most of the time. Well, I was jealous of that new Apple Watch my friend got this week, but I didn't participate in any occult activities, so I'm not doing so bad. When we look just at the list of the fruit of the Spirit, the things that Paul says Christians should be doing, it's easy to see it as a to-do list that we check off. It's a list of good deeds, and the more we nail, the better, but let's at least try to get one or two. And really, that's a best-case scenario of what happens when we separate this out by itself. Worst case is when we put it up on a pedestal as a list of really nice ideals that nobody's going to get right anyway. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control looks really great cross-stitched on a pillow but it's not very easy to actually do every day. And so we pick out one or two of them to work on, sort of like they were some type of spiritual New Year's resolution or part of a list we found in a self-help book or an article online. Another great line from that same commentary I quoted at the beginning of the sermon is this. For Paul, it was never a matter of saying, become what you are, not by behaving better. It was always a matter of, be who in baptism you already are. It was never behave so God will save you. It was always, God already saved you, so act like it. Paul isn't saying, here's your list of do's and don'ts. Paul is saying, you are free to live as the person God made you to be, and here are some of the characteristics that people living in Christ's freedom have in common. They are set up in contrast to a set of characteristics that people living in bondage to the flesh, to the world, have in common. And they're not meant to be an exhaustive list. They're not meant to be all black or white, in or out. You can't either be solidly in one camp or the other, for the most part. We're sort of all over the place. These are not prescription for trying harder. They are a description of what we are free to become. 
Freedom in Christ is so much bigger than simple freedom from going to hell. I don't know about you, but I would prefer to avoid hell. But freedom in Christ is bigger than that. Freedom in Christ is not freedom from change. And it doesn't mean that some sort of magic wand is waved over us and we instantly become an awesome person. It takes time for fruit to grow. It takes nurture, fellowship with other Christians, time spent reading scripture, prayer, fasting, meditation, worship, celebration, solitude, silence, and so much more. When we moved into our house, there was a terrible wild rose bush we referred to as Audrey too. I can tell who's seen Little Shop of Horrors. It was covered in beautiful little pink roses for about a week in June. The rest of the year, it was a thorny, dangerous mess that didn't allow anything else to grow in that section of our hill. It would snag people as they tried to walk up our front steps. It made half the front yard completely unusable. So we tore it out. And it grew back. So we tore it out again, and we covered the ground over, but it grew back. So we tore that stupid thing out again, and we planted raspberry bushes to choke it out, and that worked. That summer, we planted the berry bushes. We had lovely raspberries for much of the summer, and there was no rose bush trying to kill us as we walked past it. There was just one small problem with this plan. Tim and I are awful gardeners. Neither of us has the time, energy, or desire to do anything with any part of our yard. We're lucky it gets mowed more than once a month. The thing about raspberry bushes is that they're pretty hardy unless you completely neglect them. Last year, our hill looked terrible. I planted a few sad little hostas, but they were anything but spectacular. The other day, I noticed something as I was walking back to the house from the neighbor's house. Little pink roses in my front yard. <laughs> and I yelled, it's back! That stupid thing is back! And Tim thought I was losing his, my mind until he came out and saw it too. That ridiculous, tenacious rose bush is back. It's smaller than it used to be, but it's there. We did not nurture the fruit. We didn't water it. We didn't prune it the right way or weed the ground around it. So while it had one great year of beauty, the first year we energetically planted it, everything eventually withered away to nothing. And that crazy, dangerous, wild rose bush came back. It's not nearly as huge as it used to be, but I'll bet if we let it go until next year, it'll be taking over the entire yard again. We were free from that rose bush for a while, but we didn't take that freedom seriously. And now we're paying the price. That is how faith is. That is how fruit of the Spirit works. Many people bear fruit right after faith takes hold in that energetic first summer season. They have a good season or two, but with neglect and malaise, the fruit slowly and eventually withers to nothing 
as the weeds creep back in. Last summer, we spent the summer walking through Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. This summer, we're going to do something both different and the same. We're going to spend the summer off lectionary. I get bored during ordinary time. I wish they would call it extraordinary time or pastors be creative time. Um, So we're going to walk through ways that we can nurture the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Ways that we can develop deeper relationship with God. Not new ways to avoid sin or new ways to develop good habits, but ways to grow closer to God, to nurture that garden. We'll be talking about discipline. Not punishment, not trying harder, but spiritual discipline. Using the practices that Christians throughout the ages, since the time of the churches Paul wrote to, used to grow closer to God. They won't all speak to you, and that's okay. They don't all speak to me either. But I encourage you to spend some time considering how to build more time with God into your life. Try the different disciplines out as we talk about them, and find out how God speaks to you and how you best listen. It's different for everyone. We are each a unique individual created by God. We'll be talking about meditation, not weird om om meditation, but Christian meditation, prayer, fasting, study, simplicity, solitude, submission, service, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. If you want a good book to read this summer to go along with it, I highly recommend Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. If you have read it before, read it again. I have read it probably five to eight times over the past 15 years, and every time it changes my life in a new way. So you can see me if you want information on how to purchase it. If there's enough interest, we can put together a group order like we did for the book on 1 Corinthians last summer. You'll also see in the kitchen that there are scripture checklists that go along with the series, daily readings that coincide with the book and with what I'll be preaching. So whether you want to read through the book with us or not, I encourage everyone to pick up a copy of the checklist Uh, That will also be made available on the church website if you would prefer to have it in digital form. I lose papers, so I'm sensitive to those of you who also lose papers. My friends, all of our gardens need to be tended. Not just sometimes, not just at the beginning, not just in difficult times, but always. We are free to live in a beautiful garden, dear ones, So let us seek out that beauty, that freedom, and walk joyfully in it together. Amen.